Welcome to episode 213 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name's Noah. With me today are the starring cast of the new Game of Thrones prequel, A Time Before Linux. Ryan, Jill, and Michael. Hold on before we go any further. Stop! I want to know what that intro means, Ryan. What the heck? See, there's a new Game of Thrones coming out, but it's okay. a prequel, and we're all going to be starring in it, allegedly, in my mm. opinion, for the lawyers out there. Uh, and uh, we're going to name it a time before Linux because it's a medieval based show. And could you imagine living back then and not having access to a terminal? I can, actually. Yeah. That is medieval <laughs> times for sure. Yeah. Ryan, I have to slay a dragon. That That is my only. <laughs> Of course. I mean, that will be the end scene is you slaying the dragon. For sure. I like it. Before, before winter comes, we're going to dive into the topic of browsers. Browsers are a crucial way for any PC to experience the internet connected to other people. It's how it's what well, it's the tool that we use in the corporate world. It's the tool that we use in the personal world and the competition for alternatives to web browsers like Chrome. They're growing smaller by the year. Google dominates in this space and Microsoft is following suit. They're teaming up with Google to make edge and Chrome the dominant platform because it's edge is just Chrome, you know, not invented here. <laughs> we, in this episode, we're going to dive into some of the new offerings that are out there. We're going to ask the question, what Firefox could do to take back some of that market share later in the show. We're also going to be covering how open source is now set to take over the telecom industry. Thanks to Facebook. Listen to find out more. We have our tips, <laughs> tricks, software picks all coming up on this week of Destination Linux. In our community feedback this week, uh, Anonymous writes us to say, uh, Dear all, thank you for having the Fediverse discussion out in the open. However, I feel that an essential element of the debate has been completely missed or ignored. The technology part is, in a sense, the easy one. A non-trivial piece of the discussion is that the limits of free speech and criminal activity, such as inciting violence, bullying... Uh, all sorts of stuff like that, are becoming very thin and constantly tested. The Fediverse structure of protocols and services is pushing that to its limits even more. If a group of people who are interested in talking about criminal activity out in the open can be can, cannot be stopped, in these cases, the option for, for me or you have to kick them out of, of the, our instance or do not follow them on their instance is not enough. So they're saying uh, also that they, they say, I assume we agree that it is not acceptable to allow inciting criminal activity, uh, naturally. And they're also saying, but please do not misunderstand. I am in favor of the Fediverse, and I know that if someone wants to do or communicate some criminal activity, it is very easy to do in many different ways, not just through the Fediverse. Uh, but because in these days it is so, it's so easy for digital platforms to affect real life, I feel it is important to make sure that it is addressed, and I do not see how the Fediverse accomplishes that task. I understand this may not be something that you want to comment on in your show. Apparently, Proved we, you wrong. we do, uh, but I would be interested to hear your thoughts about it. Keep up the great work. So uh, this is a uh, very I, interesting I, thing. I got this. I got okay, this, Michael. Okay. I got this. <laughs> you, something you, I'm very passionate about. You and I'm very... Remember, you're doing de Destination Linux. You're not at the NSA right now. You're not at work. Oh, okay. okay. Well, Does in that change case... change our perspective uh, a little bit? Not really, because here's oh. the problem. All these things that this person talked about, and essentially, you know, they, they did basically give one of the big outs of the argument or the big proofs of why the argument isn't valid is the fact that there are so many other platforms where this stuff takes place. If we think about recent activity that everybody was very upset about, right? The Capitol building being stormed and all this, where did this happen? Was it on the Fediverse? Was it I on a it super on secret encrypted network? I remember, right? Was it IRC? Was it Twitter Matrix sphere. or Element? Hmm. No. no, it was Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. Trailer. And yet, somehow, the Facebook app stays on all the app stores. The Facebook app is not being talked about of being removed from your phone, your Android device, not being talked about being removed from iOS because they're too big, right? They're too big. It's not their fault. And then when we talk about Fediverse, these small communities that actually have the capability of moderating because they don't have a hundreds of millions of posts every single day hitting them that AI and thousands of employees cannot moderate and say, we can't moderate it. It's too big. 
sorry for our growth. We're just, we can't do anything about it. Where this criminal activity is taking place, but we want to blame the small Fediverse is not saying this person's blaming them, but we want to point our fingers there and say, but what if something bad happens? Criminal activity is just that it's illegal. And in any of these situations, clear illegal activity is going to be found out. And those people will be removed and taken down just like anything else. And I would say there's more of a chance for it to happen in a Fediverse than it is ever going to happen on these bigger platforms. The truth is, these bigger platforms are actually the problem, right? They're immune to all the things. They can go and attack all these small platforms, destroy their entire business, remove them completely Mm -hmm. off by saying, oh, we saw this communication over here that's illegal and bad. But yet somehow the big social media companies get away with it. They can have the same thing happening on their platform and there's an excuse for it. So it just, I really want to put a big period on this statement that we've got to stop having different rules for the big companies that we have for the small communities out there. I think the small communities do a much better job of moderating than any of these Facebook or big giant corporations, social medias do. Now with that, Noah, what do you think? So I would start by saying that I think for the for the most part, the reason that there is a difference is because nobody dis the fact that Facebook, twi- Twitter, and and any of the rest of them have the ability to remove users from their platform. It just becomes a matter of what the infraction that user has to do to uh, to, to to deserve that punishment, or what we as collective society have decided that that person's views are so unpopular that we don't want that person to have a voice. And so because everybody understands that that is technically possible and that Facebook is willing and able to do that when compelled to, nobody really bats an eyelash when they choose not to exercise that power. Why the Fediverse, I think, comes under fire is because, precisely because, it doesn't have that ability in the first place. You don't have the ability to remove someone's ability to have a conversation with someone else. I think the missing point here, though, or the thing that 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 we... That gets that gets glazed over is this idea that just because somebody can say anything on a network and can't be stopped, that that means that you have to listen to it or that anybody else has to listen to it. And so if you start by saying, well, I don't want those people to be say those things are bad and mean and I don't want them to say it to begin with. You have to ask yourself the question, can the ends even be achieved with the means? Can you stop somebody? in an open, decentralized network from saying something and somebody else, a a willing participant of that conversation receiving that message. And of course, the unequivocal empirical answer to that question is no. And there's nothing we can do or should do to change that. So then the question becomes, well, what do we do about people that say things that are, are mean or bad? How do we address those things? How do we address people uh, that 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 put bad content on the internet. And, and my answer to too much free speech is more free speech. If you think that there is a problem with a with a collective group that is that is that is saying something that is antagonistic or, or problematic or wrong, say your message louder. And at the end of the day, I believe that he who is right is going to rise to the top and win. Um, and, and so I, I I think that somebody who tries to uh, to approach these kinds of problems with technology doesn't understand these kinds of problems and doesn't understand the technology. So I think the problem, while I agree in general with what you're saying, Noah, is that these people don't get silenced on any platform, right? The idea is that, well, the Fediverse, they can just create their own server and be able to connect. And yes, people can block them, but they're not going to be silenced. They can still say these things. Mm-hmm. The reality is they're not being silenced anywhere anyways, whether it's right. Facebook or Twitter or the Fediverse yes. or somewhere else. They're all just jumping to right. Telegram or different so, platforms or so everywhere the else. And, and, the, so, and the danger is that now when they're jumping to these platforms, like what you were saying is now they're in a situation where those other platforms are echo chambers because the mm-hmm. only people that join those super secret rooms right. are people who think just like them and their right. dangerous ideas go completely unchecked. Yes, And I think that is far more dangerous and going to create far more extremism than if we had these individuals to be able to to openly discuss this and then get checked by communities around them versus just forcing them further into hiding, which is what is. we do. You're today. correct. I'm correct. We're correct. Yes, actually, um, you're correct. But so it, it comes down to can the ends be even achieved with the means? Could we could we use technology to solve this problem? The, the unequivocal answer to that is no, we couldn't. There's no amount of there's no amount of sensor controls that we can place on a technology platform that is exactly. going to prevent somebody from doing this. And so the answer to free speech more free speech. I like it. I dig it. 
We love hearing from our worldwide community. We want you to get your official DLN mug. You'll have to fill it with some coffee. Then you can find your nearest stool, sit on it, stand on it, lean against it, whatever you want to do, and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. If you want to join the community discussion like this one, then join the DLN community forum by going to dlnform.com. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by, you guessed it, DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud native apps. Let me tell you something. A lot of times we we go through this stuff and you hear this stuff week after week and you say to yourself, what is the practical use of something like DigitalOcean? I don't manage servers. I don't need servers. I don't have a use for those things. Well, let me ask you something. Do you work in an IT company? Do you work for a company where you are asked to put together weird solutions and you have to find ways to do that? The other day I was asked, to put together a ticketing system for, for a very specific portion of a business for an internal thing. They said, how do we do this? I said, we looked at all of the options. We looked at the, the, the big players in the game and everybody has kind of gone to this model of $9.99 per user. DigitalOcean, they don't charge you per users. You know what they charge you by? Servers. You know what users connect to? Servers. So you know what you can buy? It's like buying your service at wholesale cost because you just get the server right from DigitalOcean. $9.99 per user is what they were charging for the big name hosting thing. You know what DigitalOcean charges? $5 for the server. You know how many users we fit on them? All of them. It was fantastic. So <laughs> we got way more bang for our buck. Why? Because of DigitalOcean and this new app platform on top of DigitalOcean and Kubernetes made a smoother migration path. It made control of the infrastructure easy to set up. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, guess what DigitalOcean says to you? Hey, you don't even have to pay the five bucks. We're going to give you that for free. We want DigitalOcean to give out $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And that's exactly what we're going to do. You can take advantage of that by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, do.co slash DLN. You'll get that $100 free credit. You can go use it to spin up a monster-sized droplet on DigitalOcean or a lot of tiny little droplets. But in either event, no matter what you do, no matter how you choose to take advantage of that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN, we thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. Chrome accounts for nearly 70% of the market share. So if you don't follow this, a few years ago, well, let, we'll back up, we'll say like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we were at this precipice where Microsoft was fighting about Internet Explorer and saying, hey, this is the this is the browser that comes installed by default. And of course, Safari was coming installed by default on Mac OS. And so there was this battle. Then Firefox comes out and it's this open source browser that was originally based, I believe it was on Netscape Navigator, the framework from it. So they come out with it and, and, and it's this open source browser and it takes off like gangbusters because people are interested in a competitor to Microsoft. Well, skate down the road a little bit. Google says, hey, we have more money in a bigger company. We can make an open source browser. So they make an open source browser called Google Chrome and it takes off again like gangbusters. They start as a beta and it's one of, the, I think it's the only project in Google's history that they haven't actually killed. So that's <laughs> allegedly <laughs> yeah. yet. So it starts growing and it starts to gain some steam and eventually Google, because they're a massive company and because they have the money to do things like this, starts to literally build the internet around Chromium and around Chrome and around the 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 way that they think the internet should be, and and they, they've incorporated that into all sorts of things into mobile those those kinds of things. And as that happened, eventually Microsoft looks up and goes, "Hey guys, you know what really sucks? Year after year after year, every New Year's, I have to watch this joke about somebody posting on New Year's on Internet Explorer from 1995, and it just finally posts in 2020. I'm getting sick of that joke. What do you think we should do about it? And they went, well, the rest of the world switched to Chrome. We should switch to Chrome. And they went, that's not invented here. I got it. We'll switch to Chrome, but we won't call it Chrome. We'll call it Internet Explorer. Well, that name's busted. All right, fine. We'll call it Internet Edge. <laughs> it'll be Microsoft Edge browser. It'll be Chrome, but it'll be Edge. It'll change Edge everything. It'll change everything. It's all just, okay. Somebody get on the phone with Google and tell them we want to strip out all their stuff and put all of our stuff in it. Okay. So they pay their developers and they take Google Chrome and they strip out all of Google's privacy invasive nonsense. They put Microsoft privacy invasive nonsense, put a new logo on it. Now, 75% of the internet, 80, 70, between 75 and 80% of the internet runs on one browser. I have news for you. If you're a user sitting at your home and you care about things like privacy and security and you want the browser to have your best interest in mind, you have two very large companies and their profit margins standing in your way. And so a lot of people say to themselves, well, why does that really even matter? Why does it matter if who makes the browser? I mean, at the end of the day, it's just Chrome compiled code. And Chromium's matter. open source. Noah, right. I'm supporting open source. 
what bad could happen? Okay, first right. of all, if 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 we did, if we took everything else off of the table and there was there the only thing was just the browser, the fonts alone are rendered from Google, which means they have a certain amount of information from you just because you're using code that was written by Google. So even if we there, and there people have tried have tried to strip as much of the Google out as you can, you just can't get rid of it. It's like a virus, right? And so. An example of, uh, of where this gets to is every time you install a browser, the browser gets to be more and more powerful and it takes over more and more of your computer. If you've ever wondered to yourself, how does Chrome Remote Desktop work? I mean, you just visit, you know, uh, remote, whatever is remote.chrome.com or whatever, and, it log, and you put in the little key and then it takes control of my desktop and I can see it. That's really cool. What is to stop Google from executing that code without your knowledge? What's to stop Microsoft from executing that code without your knowledge? And you say to yourself, well, fine, uh, uh, that, that, that's only one. It's just one of two big companies, right? My next question would be, how many extensions do you have installed? And how much research have you done for e each one of those extensions? Because a lot of those extensions uh, and, and the extension stores- It's one of the most popular Google. ways to deliver- viruses and take information right now is through extensions. Sure. People don't realize you, that. And you can build a small amount of usability into an extension and have a whole bunch of bad and the chances of your user actually digging into that are slim. I read security reports because I'm a dry person and that that's 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 what I find to be ripping good reads. And, and so as I'm as I'm digging through it's 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 interesting the amount of places and they do sneaky things. So for example, one report I read was showing that if you open the developer console, it would immediately suspend all the suspicious stuff. If you if the user hadn't opened the developer console, then it would start doing stuff in the background. And they're 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 I mean, we can only guess, but the the assumption is that if somebody is smart enough to open the developer console, they're probably smart enough to figure out what that app that extension is doing, and they might catch on. And and so they're getting more and more clever about these things. The 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 biggest problem I think that we have, and I'd be interested to open this discussion up and kind of see what your guys' thoughts are. Does it matter that? basically two companies, and really, if we're honest with ourselves, one company, that is to say Google, has control over the direction of the browser, thus the internet. Does that affect things like privacy, censorship? Uh, does it matter? What do you think, Ryan? I think you made a brilliant case for it. I think you answered that 100%. And, and it goes further. Google credentials used for single sign-on or to sign in in sync the second you open the browser. A lot of people I know will sit there and say, well, I use Chromium because it's the open source version, but you're still signing in probably to the Google store, right? To go download some of those extensions. Yeah. It still asks you to sign into Google right from the beginning. Uh, ability to pull support in the future for things like what just happened in the Chromium world with Linux, right? They pulled support for the sync functionality. No, that wasn't so again, just Linux. That's all of Chromium. They've removed it. So, so if again, you don't they have control. They control this. And I, I know what people are thinking. I know they're looking at their Chromium browser or they're looking at their Chrome browser sitting on Linux going, yeah, but you know, I tried Firefox the other day and it was slower. It didn't render stuff as quickly. Maybe it didn't have a certain feature that I want. But to me, the fight is so much bigger than having to wait an extra Neo second for a page to load because allowing one company, especially this particular company, to have this much control over one of the most important advancements we've had in civilization in the last hundred years is just, it's really, really scary to me. 93% of all queries are run through Google search engine. Mm -hmm. So we're not even just talking about the browser, but because of the fact that they have so much control on the browser, what's the starting page that it's going to suggest that you do all your searches through? Google. It's now a part of our vocabulary. Like I can't even get away from it at work. Like, hey, go Google that and figure out what it is. Like it's, it's a huge, huge issue. And unfortunately for me, Firefox has also been very frustrating because at certain times that browser is amazing. Like when Quantum came out and it seemed like they were just leading this amazing charge and could really take them on. But again, they're like you said, you've got two gigantic companies now, Microsoft and Google basically putting, pouring all of their funding into this and to really expect anybody to compete, it's just going to be really, really difficult. You have to focus on one thing that makes you niche from the rest of these. And to me, that one thing is privacy, right? You have yeah. to have the most privacy focused browser out there if you really want to compete with this. Uh, unfortunately, there is a new one in town uh, called uh, Ghostry. And Let me guess, it's be... based on Chrome. 
<laughs> no, no, that's the wonderful thing. It's based on Firefox. And, uh, you know, you may be familiar with Ghostery as, uh, because they make the free and open source browser extension and mobile browser app for ad blocking and privacy. So, and not only are they making a browser, but they have their own search engine that's uh, private and ad free. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were playing around with the beta of Ghostery. And yeah, it, it does look exactly like Firefox, you know, mi- minus uh, the save to pocket feature and Firefox Sync, but it has their clean ad free privacy search. And it has more security turned on by default than the the typical fri- Firefox. Browser. This is what I thought was really interesting mm-hmm. about this. So it was really fun. I went to Ghostry and I wanted to sign up for beta and I was hoping I'd get it before the show. Yeah. Uh, the show <laughs> starts. And so it said, what company do you represent? I said, Destination Linux. 10 minutes later, I get the beta key. So I send it out to everyone <laughs> on this show and we, we get to play with Ghostry. And one of the things I thought, well, is this just kind of a rebranded Firefox? Well, no, they're focusing down on the areas. Firefox has done an amazing job. Let me get that up front by, with a lot of their privacy stuff. And there's so much privacy options in there. But what Ghostry did is they went and took a lot of these privacy options that are optional in Firefox and just turned them on by default. A lot of the protections and things that you would expect. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy to see another player come into this world basing something not on chromium like as soon as i saw the announcement for the news i'm like great a new browser it's based on chromium let me guess nope uh so they shocked me with that the other thing is they're going to have two versions one's paid because what i like to do is always funny the follow the money trail how are they going to make money that's what i want to know because i don't want them pulling using my browser as a bitcoin miner or something else in the background i don't know how they're going to make money well, they have a, they're going to have a paid-for version, which is like their $4.99 a month. I don't know if that's what it will be, but right now, if you get their extension, it's like their premium. It's like $4.99 a month or something. So you'll have that. So you can pay for your browser, which I'm perfectly willing to pay for my privacy. $4.99 is not too much to ask. Or they're doing a DuckDuckGo model, they think. This is what they're talking about doing, which is they're going to have ads that will display, but they won't be targeted. That's how DuckDuckGo makes money. So they don't care about grabbing your personal information and taking it. If you search for Kleenex, you're going to get a Kleenex (laughs) ad up. And then that's the end of the transaction. There's no more. Well, how many times did he search for Kleenex in the last 12 months? And how how much does his family use? There's none of that. It's just you search for something. We happen to have an ad that matches it. Here's your ad. Transaction's over once I close my browser. That's kind of how they're looking at doing their model, which I was very, very impressed with. What do you think, Michael? You've been in this browser war. You've been a huge proponent of Firefox forever. Mm-hmm. Are you excited to see Ghostry in this realm? I mean, I'm still a fan of Firefox anyway because I'm a. I think they're doing. They're they are doing innovative stuff. I mean, they're not always trying to be the fastest browser or anything like that, but they are. Uh, fair, they are fairly fast, and they do have. Uh, a lot of cool innovation stuff, like the container tabs and that sort of stuff. So uh, I'm I'm still a fan of Firefox, but at the same time, if the fact that Ghostery is based on Firefox means that container tab still works, which is awesome. And mm-hmm. having the privacy stuff in addition to the container tabs thing, that is just fantastic because you can get add-ons and extensions from the Mar- the uh, Mozilla Marketplace or the Firefox Marketplace. And while I agree 100% with what Ryan said earlier about extensions, you need to be very careful with them. Uh, the container tabs is built by Mozilla. So if you're going to use anything yes. based on Firefox, it's it's probably fine. <laughs> but it's yeah. also a fantastic extension and I love it. And I made a video about it because I loved it so much. Uh, but there's uh, having that inside of Ghostry, that's really exciting. And I tried their, uh, I, we, we tried out the, the beta for Ghostry Browser. And the fact that it's based on Firefox is just awesome. But there's also like that the the search engine they have. I didn't even know they had a search engine until I tried the beta out. So that's that's really cool. Uh, but they oh, what's cool about it for me is that it's it's very privacy oriented, but it also is uh, it's one of those things that you would consider like an advanced browser. Which implies that you might think that there's a ton of things you have to do to set up to make it work, and they do, and like you said, they do have a lot of the defaults that Mozilla doesn't have set by default act- activated, but they also have additional stuff that they add in themselves. Uh, but what I thought was the best part was it had a setup wizard, and the setup wizard mm-hmm. allows you to dis- to display ads or not, uh, block tracking t- uh, t- cookies or not, uh, so it's all kinds of stuff like that. That it is it's just very. 
Um, it just gives you a lot of control. In not terms only of is setup. it a setup wizard, but it's one that if you're not a technical person, you would still understand because it's so well designed yeah. and broken out into sections. You would understand what it's actually asking you versus a lot of these wizards. They're asking these super technical questions and you're mm -hmm. like, uh, is there like a recommended here? Do I just click next? I'm not sure. I don't know what this means. Mm -hmm. They make it really, really simple. I think it's important to know a couple things of history here before we go. But before we move on, you, I just want to okay, clarify something. You, you said that they, they make it, They make, there, is there a recommended thing? There's actually a checkbox. You just check that box and it sets all the recommended up for you automatically. So you could yeah. just, just do it that way too. That's fire <laughs> That's right really there. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a really good point. So a couple things of history. Number one, Ghostry is one of the most popular browser extensions for privacy protection. Edward Snowden suggests consumers utilize it. Um, so that's definitely got his take, at least back then. There is some criticism for this company that was based on the original former owner. Former owner being the keyword. Ghostry had an opt-in feature called GhostRank. This is all on Wikipedia. So allegedly and all that stuff, but it's out there for you to read about um, under there. And basically they were sending some information that was supposed to be anonymized back to certain websites and things like that. Again, that was the former owner. That was before they changed to different companies and things. But just want to mention that because I'm sure people will go do the research and see that. But it looks like everything they've done since that time has been based on trying to focus on this niche of privacy and security and things. And of course, every single browser from Firefox to Chrome have some history elements or criticisms we could give them of things they've done. So that to me doesn't wipe them out as something I wouldn't use, but I just want to make sure everybody understands there's some history there to definitely check out. Yeah, it's nice that there's, you know, an established company out there that's making this awesome secure web browser. <laughs> I was just really I, I'm happy very happy one. about it. And it looks yeah. beautiful. I love yes. the color scheme that they use. Yeah. Me and Jill were talking about this. Michael didn't agree, but he's wrong and it's funny you're wrong. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't say I didn't disagree. <laughs> I just said it's all, it's kind of similar to the dark mode in Firefox. It's not that it's, it's kind of similar, but they use these really cool kind of text colors. I don't know how you would describe it, Jill. Is there a way to describe the color neon? Almost like yeah, a neon, but not overused. Um, uh, a neon, but, you know, kind of the purples and blue spectrum. <laughs> yeah. So I did want to say that I think that there's a, a, a something I wish that was more granular in in Ghostry that I think is it's great overall and it looks good. I do think it looks good. I just I just kind of said it very similar and wasn't disagreeing that it doesn't look good. It does. It's okay but, to be wrong. You're on the other side of the bridge. Wow. Definitely not. No. Uh, <laughs> But uh oh, that's uh, a bridge to nowhere, you guys. <laughs> exactly. In this case, Did we just yes. get scolded by Jill. We, I think so. I think so. Wow. But wow. Uh, what's cool about it is the the ability to control like how much you you can either block all ads or all tracking thing, or you can block some that are based on just like analytics stuff and that kind of thing. I wish there were more granular controls, as in blocking particular services. That would be better because there are sometimes you don't necessarily need to block all analytics. Like for example, if they were to block all analytics they would block people who are even doing self-hosted analytics and there's no google involvement there in those cases and it, it, point. it seems like you can only say all analytics or not or not and I, i'd rather have it be able to control like which ones that i'd be comfortable with and by default turn off those and then let the rest if they have self-hosted as an option like we do at dln to use that as well and be able to participate in those that's very fair. And, you know, we can't leave Firefox out here because I think checking out Ghostry, if you've had experience where you don't think you can use Firefox, definitely check it out and give them support and take a look at what they're doing there. But Firefox itself is actually doing some changes now. They've unveiled a completely new look coming to Firefox. So they've got a new hamburger menu. That's that one with the three lines. And I only know that because Michael taught me what a hamburger menu is. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know it was called a hamburger menu. Yeah. It's, 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 Once he says that, though, then you're like, there's totally a hamburger on the upper right hand. Yeah, it screen. totally looks like a hamburger. <laughs> to be to be clear to everyone, if you're not familiar with this, this is actually the name of the menu button. That's, yeah, that is what it's called in design. Yeah, in design. Yeah. Yeah. Like it became like this popular term of like, and, and really no one, particular really no one knows why lines. it became popular, but it does kind what? of look like a hamburger, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Three lines. Absolutely. I Delicious. guess. I guess. Uh, they have a new 
new tab page that's easier to customize. That's one of the features, I think, for people who don't use Firefox on a regular basis. The customization was not really well laid out. You had a little bit of customizations. I liked how you could control like how many lines of uh, items you could have for like quick access. And you could do a little bit, but this one is a, a lot more and that is fantastic. You've got new info boxes for notifications, new address bar and toolbar. So Firefox is not laying down, which is great because we need competition in this market. There are all also many other smaller browsers out there. But what I'm looking at is one that I can go into a general public, not a Linux community forum where we talk about Waterfox and Tor browsers and stuff like that. And people know what that means. But a general community and say, stop using Google go to Firefox. Mm-hmm. Firefox is a recognized name or go to Ghostry, where, which is based on Firefox, which again is a recognized name that you could recommend to people to utilize as their browser. I think it's so important that people consider and look at the browser they're using, especially in the Linux community where we kind of generally lead the charge when it comes to privacy and security before the general public is even aware of the issues that this stuff can cause. Uh, We've been non-Chromium-based browser supporters on this show for years now. Mm -hmm. Um, We've taken a lot of praise for it. We've also got a lot of flack for it. But we stand by the fact that this is an important cause. And something as simple as the browser you choose to put on your machine is going to make a difference here. So in the future, competitor like Google, an option like Ghostry or Firefox, can they even compete with... Can they even compete? Is Is it over, Michael? I think they can compete, but I think they need to do some some drastic changes and stuff. And and I think the biggest issue for Firefox is that it needs some kind of revenue stream. Like they have a little bit that they're dabbling here and there, but they don't really have a a method that everyone can participate with and 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 help with the funding of Firefox. Like yes, there's you can donate, but that's not really the same kind of thing because donations are great. And a lot of projects do benefit heavily from donations, but there's also people who just don't uh, think about even considering it. Not necessarily they wouldn't do it. It just doesn't come off uh, come up uh, in their minds or in that kind of thing. But with uh, like having something what Ghostry is doing, where you actually can have a subscription system to uh, get extra features and also participate in helping them continue to make it, like that is a good policy. So I think that Ghostry has. Uh, is on the right track there. And I think Firefox is doing a lot of great work in the innovative space because of things like uh, container tabs, or as they actually refer to it now as multi-account containers. Container tabs is just so much faster to say. But it's uh, that, that kind of stuff is very innovative and very cool, and I want them to continue to do that. But I also think they should put some some method that makes it easier for people to get extra features. Like, for example... You know, create services and yeah, then offer them to are... your customers like a VPN that actually works <laughs> for Linux. Yeah, you know, that's a good people option. People who've been supporting yes. you forever, <laughs> the operating system that almost every distro defaults to Firefox, and then you release a VPN service and don't offer a Linux variant there, well, Mozilla. They did six the months idea. later. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean, did. sort of. It also doesn't work on all distros, but whatever. It's that's a that's a different situation. Help us, help. Yes, you. exactly. We want to help you. Let us help you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on. But I think there's and a I, lot I of things think, they can do. Yeah, one of my ideas was that they can start advertising more about extensions. Firefox used to be the king of extensions, and then mm-hmm. kind of Chrome kind of caught up. But there's extensions that you can only get on Firefox, and they need to really, you know recapitalize on on that because that that's how they were were, were ahead for so many years mm-hmm, you know they had sure. extensions and, and it took chrome a long time before they developed those yeah yeah I, I think it's a, i think it's a good point regardless of what they're marketing for they need to do some marketing because i don't think they do yes any. Like, <laughs> they go. might they might do some but i just haven't noticed it but i haven't <laughs> seen like there was a there was a time where Google was advertising Chrome all the time on YouTube and other places. I know that they're in a different space of having the the money to do these certain things that that Mozilla doesn't have. But anything is better than nothing. And it feels like they're not doing anything. I could be wrong about that. Hopefully I am, but I haven't noticed it. Well, we will be watching Ghostry closely. You can go sign up for their beta and go check it out yourself and let us know what you think. Send us your comments and, and, and or join the DLN forums and talk about it and see what you think about this new browser entry. For sure. 
This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager. And what is a password manager? Well, it's software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, securing your online accounts is very important because the best security practices for passwords is to have a different password for every account on every website that you have to sign up to. You must have watched my video, Michael. I did notice you made that video. I think that you actually took my lines and put it into your video instead of vice versa. Exactly, <laughs> yes, but, and said it's my video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so uh, this makes sense as a policy, but without a password manager, that's a very painful thing to do. And Bitwarden solves all this by providing tools to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do it. And you can access your data across across multiple types of devices like your web browser, mobile apps, desktop applications, and even on the command line if you want to do that as well. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves those devices, so you know that you're the only person with access to your data. I've been using Bitwarden for years now, and the reason Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust is because in addition to all of these great features, it also has 100% open source software. That's right, 100% open source, which means the features and the security of their infrastructure can be vetted and improved by the community. And they don't just stop there. They could stop there, but they don't. They also bring in third-party security firms to audit their code to make sure it is as safe as possible. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. And I think you will want to check out the other options they have for their premium account because they have a ton of great features in addition to that. And it starts at less than $1 per month. You get one gigabyte encrypted file storage. Wait, that's like $10 a year. How can that be? How can you offer a service like this for $10 a year, Michael? Magic. That's the only thing I come up with. Uh, You get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, (laughs) U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, and so much more. And yeah, you can get it for less than $1 per month. So you could get Bitwarden and have peace of mind for your passwords and other sensitive data for a year for less than two cups of almost coffee at those some places, you know, those things. Uh, anyway, uh, make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash deal and you can support this company that supports open source and also supports the Destination Linux podcast. Go to bitwarden.com slash deal and get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. All right. So in the news this week, there was this really interesting announcement that came out of the Linux Foundation. Generally, I see some of these announcements come from the Linux Foundation. This is just me personally talking and I'm just like, eh, none of it is really that interesting to me. I don't really see how that's going to change things. But this one caught my attention because it's regarding telecom. It says, today we welcome the Magma Core project community to the Linux Foundation ecosystem. We're pleased to be partnering with Facebook Connectivity Open Infrastructure Foundation, Open Air Interface to make the evolution a success for the broader ecosystem. Now, what does all that gibberish mean, that corporate talk stuff? Well, back in 2019, Facebook open-sourced Magma. So as much as I give Facebook a hard time, I got to give them props here for open-sourcing this because this leads to what's going to happen in the future. And at its core, it will allow telecom operators to deploy mobile networks faster based on an open standard without Mm -hmm. vendor Mm lock-in. So this is pretty much a plug and play, meaning it will work with the existing network infrastructure for telecom. So they don't have to go rip and replace million, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of equipment here. They can just start installing these in their current networks and they don't have the lock-in with vendors. If you didn't know, a lot of the cell towers out there, the antennas on top of them are owned by specific vendors. And to control those, they have to buy the software package that also comes from those vendors. And then your RF person who's out there working on these various things have to log into the various applications, depending on the type of equipment that's sitting on that cell tower to make adjustments and changes and things like that to it. This would remove all of that nonsense. You could have an open standard, one software package, It allows you to control it all. Uh, The second step to making this popular, of course, the first step was Facebook open sourcing it. So good job, Facebook. The second one is the Linux Foundation doing a collaboration with a lot of big names here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You've got Arm. You've got Deutsche Telekom. You've got Facebook, FreedomFi, Qualcomm, the Institute of Wireless Internet of Things, Northern University, Open Air Interface, Software Alliance, and the Open Infrastructure Foundation all joining in to build upon this, to get this open standard out there. 
Why is this important? Well, I think when you look at the ability to deploy wireless networks into areas that are completely underrepresented today, you talk about 5G phones. I mean, how many people actually have 5G service anywhere? The expense in deploying and hiring these various vendors to go out on behalf of these telecom companies to go install this equipment, you have to have a specific vendor in specific areas and all this, all that nonsense starts to go away when you have these open standards that are out there. This is something that we talk about a lot. And of course, standards, better security, open source taking over the world, which always makes me happy, and companies <laughs> wanting to find ways to avoid vendor lock-in, which is a big topic that we discuss here. So I was pretty excited about this. I thought it was pretty cool. Anybody else or am I the only telecom geek here? I mean, you're definitely yeah. the one who understands most of this more, more than yes. I do, for sure. Uh, but this is really cool that it has all these things, like having the, uh, the making it better to have uh, this open source approach to make it where the automation can be better, like the l less downtime, which is important, uh, you know, better predictability of like what the services could offer for you and that kind of thing. It's very cool to see these things happening and also making it possible to do the uh, NVMNO, like what is it? Well, I forgot. I forgot what the initialism for that is because it's, you know, whatever. But to be able to have those inter interconnected more as well is really cool. And it also means that we can get 5G out faster when there's, you know, previously with like the LTE and the other stuff that's... It took all, a while. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of competing. And then there was also the different technologies versus like... Uh, you know, LT versus WiMAX, I think that's what it was. Like that mm -hmm. that kind of break point kind of thing happened where if they're doing like doing this approach, they could accelerate it like by years probably. Yeah. This is as important as SpaceX putting uh, uh, satellites for internet in space. It really is. And yeah. um, the fact that we have people on board like Qualcomm and ARM that's huge. I mean, yeah, that's some big money names too, right? Yeah, this is yeah. going to honestly revolutionize the you know the way we we talk to people on our cell phones <laughs> and communicate. I it open like like you said earlier, open source is taking over the world, and telecom is that next step. <laughs> it's it's awesome. awesome. I I, I don't want to say this, but I feel like it has to be said. Don't do it, Michael. Don't. Thanks, no. Facebook. <laughs> oh, why? Yeah, it hurt. It hurt saying it, it when it came out. It hurt. I get it. But you know, it is. Got to give props where they're due, man. You got to give props. Yeah, where they're due. there is that. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. And uh, also the the fact that this is being organized with the Linux Foundation. They are so good at helping organize. You know everything from you know open source on auto to you know cloud standards. So yep. they're really good about, you know, bringing the companies together, making have, having the discussion and putting it into use. We're about to take over telecom even more. We own all the supercomputers. We own pretty much all the servers and clouds out there. Linux is winning. Why can't we take over the desktop? Maybe Facebook, <laughs> can you open source something for us there? I don't know. Let me ask you something, Ryan. Do we get to a point ever where so much of the day-to-day -day services and things are running off of servers and just being delivered to the mobile UI or the, or the web UI or the desktop UI that it doesn't matter anymore? You might be right. Yeah, maybe we'll I mean, just take it over by uh, by proxy, right? Because yeah, we'll indirectly there. control the systems because all the servers <laughs> are already doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. That's funny. Have you ever wanted to just sit down and have fun killing some monsters? Every day, especially <laughs> Every on Valentine's Day. <laughs> yes. Well, then Monument is the game for you. Yes, it's, it's the game called Monument. And on Steam, it is described as old school FPS. Hardcore classic gameplay, huge hordes of monsters, send to the grave evil chickens, aliens, and other evil spirits. Hold and on one second. Let me translate this for Noah. Noah, huge guns, bunch of stuff coming at you. You blow it all up. Are you yeah. interested? super interested? Yeah. When do we play? Super interested. <laughs> nice. You know, it's so funny. And some of the monsters, some of the first monsters that come at you look like flowers. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. <whoops>. Nice. <laughs> nice. So you're saying like this, this like they say a, a huge horde of monsters. Are they saying that the amount is monumental? Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly, Michael. Perfect. So this game was released on June 5th, 2015 on Steam by D Games. 
and was created uh, in the Unity game engine and has native Linux support. Yay! (laughs) So I had a lot of fun playing a monument spanning on my three monitor NVIDIA GTX 1080 rig, as well as my AMD RX 580 rig. I've got uh, two, three monitor rigs. Of course you do. (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) And it played beautifully on both. And you know what was so cool about this game? As I felt like I was playing Serious Sam again, right yes. down to the. Mm. To That's the, what I'm talking about. <laughs> right down to the maps you can sometimes get lost in the old school tex- textures, the lighting, and the monsters. It just you know had has that whole Serious Sam vibe with a bit of a Doom and Quake and Unreal all rolled in. <laughs> yeah, I love this game. I, I was playing this. If you know, one of my first games I really fell in love with was Wolfenstein 3D. That was definitely yes, the classic. You know, yeah. Everybody had one of those, and then the dooms and the quakes and things. And this is kind of a throwback to that, right? To that, it's a recreation yeah. of those amazing games where the skill is all in how you pick the right weapon at the right time to do massive amounts of damage. And it was just a lot of fun to run through. And it's a game you can play quickly. Yeah. You can do yes. quick 10 minute stints in it and, you know, get a nice old school uh, shooter going in there and then be able to get out and go do whatever you want for the rest of the day. It's really cool. Yeah. And you know what is I was also impressed with is a Wazda is very, very responsive. And yep. and this is not normal for a Unity game, which has a tendency to have very soft, kind of floaty movement. They nailed it with this one. They got their their Good code point. right. <laughs> yep. And the game's super expensive though, Jill. That's the yeah. downside, right? Yes. It's only 99 cents until tomorrow when the Steam Lunar New Year sale ends. But it is only $1.99 normally. <laughs> so you can buy it for yourself and all your friends. The only sad thing is I wish I could I could play co-op with this game with uh, Ryan and Michael and Noah. That would be a lot of fun. But for now, we have a really good single It would be fun for you player. as you destroy us in every single uh, map. But uh, what are you talking about? We're professional so sure. gamers. What are you talking oh, about? Yeah, that's right. My bad. I- I'm all about the MLGs. <laughs> Whatever. Go check out Monument. It's Monument. Awesome it's awesome. Have fun destroying monsters, hordes of them, and plants, and plants. And plants. <laughs> yes. But plants. don't let the plants get you, because then you'll be pushing up daisies. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> nice dad joke. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the software spotlight this week, we have a really interesting application. If you're coming from Windows and you're used to using Microsoft Access and you want to have something that for your business, then you need to check out Kexi. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. I could be wrong. (laughs) But the solution is Kexi, and this tool is a GUI-based visual database application creator. It can be used for designing database applications, inserting and editing data, performing queries, processing data, that sort of stuff. And in addition, forms can be created to provide a custom interface to your data. And all of the database objects, tables, queries, forms, etc., etc., are stored in the database, making it easy to share the data and the design of it. So if you want to have a collaboration aspect of it, you can do that by just sharing the files that it creates and someone can just load it up and have everything ready to go. So if database creation is something that you have struggled with when you've, during your usage of Linux, then you want to check out Kexi. This week, we're continuing our tips and tricks section using Podman. Now, last week, we talked about how easy it is to install and create your first container in either Fedora or OpenSUSE. This week, we're going to expand our Podman knowledge by talking about how you can find new types of pods to try out. One of the great features of Podman is the ability to search a registry of pods that you can deploy. Instead of that being instead of that Debian pod, let's say, for example, you wanted to make an Ubuntu-based pod. No problem. You simply go to your command line and type Podman space search space Fedora or Podman space search space Home Assistant. That will set up a Fedora pod or a Home Assistant pod uh, respectively. From there, you'll be able to deploy an entire plethora of containerized pods to start learning. If you want to learn more about Podman, keep tuning into Destination Linux this week as we continue to explore uh, Podman in our tips, tricks, and software picks segment. Your guide, if this is if, if you're starting from scratch and you're saying, hey, I need to go back and I need kind of a refresher, go back to last week's episode and check out the first ep- check out the first time that we've talked about Podman. You can get started from the beginning. You'll be run- up and running with containers in no time with this powerful tool. It's so easy Michael can do it. I mean, come on. What? What? <laughs> okay, I, I, I can like do it. to give them a baseline <laughs> okay, for it, the easy. It is easy, and I can do it, but that's... 
Yeah. That's, you're like, you're kind of implying something that's not accurate. No, it's just but, the baseline of your oh, knowledge. Oh, okay. I, 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 I see. Yeah. But actually, I, I mean, it's really easy. You can get, you know, get started with it really quickly. And also, it's so, you could get, you know, connected to it. So you could be like two peas in a pod, man. <laughs> <Good dad joke. laughs> on that on that we've just got to end the show so a big thank you to each and every one of you by supporting us by watching or listening to destination linux we love your faces and we love all of our patrons that are here with us in the super secret stadium back room studio sure virtual studio that's what we call thing. it all of those yeah. words together is trademark yeah. that thing. <laughs> You get all kinds of perks for being a patron, like unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events, live recordings, destination links every Sunday where they get to hang out in the super secret chat room and they get to hang out with us for the patron only after show where we talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. In addition, every <laughs> Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. We can't wait to see you in the chat. Also, right now, in, in addition to DLN Live, you can go to DLNstore.com and you can pick up some swag there. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and so much more. Even can more I get that coming... stool shirt you're wearing right now, In Michael, fact, I was that? about yeah. to mention that because the, we do have a stool shirt that's the act... Wow. To more specific, it's the active <laughs> sitting shirt that is available mm. in the Because collection. And the reason for that is because. So if you'll notice that in this show, I am currently yeah. standing... <laughs> I've been standing the entire show and Jill is wearing the same shirt while sitting because you can do both with this fantastic shirt. That is do anything in that shirt. <laughs> so My many gosh. things you could do with this shirt and you can get one of your own by going to dealinstore.com. <laughs> I'm going right now, Michael. Perfect. And and Michael has been using his stool actively during the show. That is the true first too. time ever. Not the What's first it like time having an inferior chair. It's a fantastic superior stool, if that's what you mean. I don't know what you're referring to. Is it, it doesn't have a backing. That's true. It doesn't have uh, arms. That's also true. But what it does have, for those who are watching in the audio version, uh, they can describe it. But this is what it has. Is he going to do the Carlton dance? Yes, let's hope. Do the Carlton dance. Wow, he's, ah, he's you can spinning. spin 360. I, I can spin in my chair, Michael. This... You spin me ah. right round, baby, right round like a regular. You know, he really thinks he's an athlete because he can do that. Actually, I yeah. felt like I was falling for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Off balance a little. Uh, but anyway, you can do that with a stool. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And also, we have so many amazing shows that are a part of the Destination Linux network. Uh, we have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, and our latest show, Gamesphere. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everyone have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Have a good week, everyone. <laughs> and Michael's spinning on his stool. <laughs> <laughs> See you next is week. That gonna go on, is that going on TikTok? Uh, yeah. It'll be in the episode for sure, but I don't know if it's going to be on TikTok. It might be on TikTok. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe do TikTok. Maybe. maybe. All right, patrons, turn on your cameras, turn on your mics. Yay. Or just lurk, whatever you want to do. 